Good morning, Andy Kine here. You join me in my second favourite place in the world. My favourite place in the world is the New Forest. My second favourite place is Sherwood Forest. And I know it looks like I've got a virtual background, but look, I, I, I actually am. I actually am here. I actually am at Sherwood Forest. And it's, um, it's Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. A day on which, 2,000 years ago, God poured out his spirit on all people. In Acts chapter 2, God pours out his spirit on all people in a way that is unprecedented. It was unprecedented times, like the times we live in now. And it was it was bizarre and confusing and people didn't know what was going on. They'd never seen anything like it before. Amidst this, one man stands up with calm authority and declares that the kingdom of heaven has come and that all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That person was the Apostle Peter. You don't just go around saying that all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a very bold claim for one person to say. But he stood up with authority and he preached the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. The church begins at Pentecost. How did Peter get to that point? Today's talk is about the Apostle Peter. It's called the fall and rise of the Apostle Peter because he's not your classic hero. We know so much about Peter from the Bible and he's not your classic hero. A few weeks before, he was on a beach, feeling pretty stranded, knowing that he was a failure, completely nonplussed, waiting for the Lord to rescue him in some way, confused, how did he get from that point being on a beach, confused, not really knowing what to do, not being able to do the thing that he was supposed to do? How did he get from that to the point where he could stand up and say, you see what's happening? God's spirit is here and all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Between those two points, Peter had realised that failure wasn't final, that his ability to endure was more important than his fitness for the task. I'm going to go for a, a walk. I've got a, a 40 pound pack, which is the, uh, the size of pack that they wear when they're doing special forces training. Now I'm not in special forces, never have been, never wanted to be, never could have been. So I'm going to set myself this challenge. I'm going to try and walk 10 miles in a 40 pound pack and we'll see how I get on. I want you to come with me. Let's endure. So I've done about five miles and my neck hurts. I'm in pain, but I'm carrying on. They say for people who do go for special forces selection in the UK, there's no, there's no external failure. You fail yourself, you don't get failed. If you like, you're never written off until you decide that you are, until you decide you don't want to keep putting one foot in front of another. Imagine that. Imagine not being written off. See, there's a difference between fitness and endurance. I am not fit. I could run 5k just about if I needed to rescue one of my children from a hostage situation, 
but I'm not fit. However, endurance is different. Endurance is about refusing to give in, about just saying yes to the pain and putting one foot in front of another. And that's the great thing about the Lord. The Lord doesn't call capable people. He calls available people. He's not looking for your ability, just your availability. You may not be fit for the task of what God's got for you, what he's got planned for you. None of us are, but he'll equip you as you go. Your ability to endure is vastly more important than your capability or your natural ability. I talked about Peter before Pentecost. Peter had gone back to fishing with his mates and he couldn't do it. He couldn't even fish. I'll talk about that in a bit. Even the thing he was employed to do, he couldn't do. He was on this beach feeling like a failure, feeling spiritually stranded, waiting for the Lord to rescue him in some way. Let me tell you about another beach. 80 years ago this week, a young 20-year-old boy from Birmingham found himself stranded at Dunkirk, waiting to be rescued. He'd been part of the territorial, territorial army, and so when the war started, Second World War, he was drafted straight into the British Expeditionary Force and sent over to northern France his first time abroad. Couldn't swim, and he was just there as part of the Royal Signals, and instantly found himself in retreat mode, and he found himself stranded with lots of other young men on the beaches of Dunkirk with the sea in front of him and behind him the German war machine rolling ominously towards them largely without hope knowing that they were beaten knowing that they'd failed assuming probably most of them that the war was over that 20 year old boy was called Eric Wilmot Kind son of Timothy Wilmot Kind he went on to have a son, Peter John Wilmot Kind, who himself has a son, Andrew Duncan Wilmot Kind. Now we are all the sum total of millions of different decisions, but you know, one of the decisions I'm most grateful for is my granddad's decision to just hold the line, to endure, not to give up, not to give in, not to surrender, but to just stand there and take it and endure and wait for rescue. I couldn't preach the gospel, I wouldn't be alive, I wouldn't be able to lead anyone to Jesus if that young, scared, but stoic 20-year-old boy from Birmingham hadn't just endured. And of course, as a nation, Dunkirk was a defeat, but in the midst of defeat, there was rescue. Thousands and thousands and thousands of men were rescued from Dunkirk, way more than they expected to rescue. And actually, in some ways, it was, it was a turning point. For the, for the phoenix to emerge, it has to burn. And in the midst of defeat, there was still rescue. And the nation learned that failure isn't final. I'm not trying to be overly militaristic. The point I'm making is that there are people in your life who need you just to hold on. There are people who haven't been born yet who need you just to endure. And you can't do it in your own strength. So say, Lord, strengthen my hands. My granddad endured and he was rescued and the rest is history. I feel like I might be history so I'm going <laughs> to stop for a rest and I'll speak to you in a moment. Well um, we didn't do it did we Alan? 
Uh, we did about eight miles um, and I'm going to go home. I'm too tired now. But um, I've learned a couple of things, I think, which will help me to do the full 10 miles next time. Let failure be your teacher, not your undertaker. So I'm going to go home and record the rest of this talk. Um, next time you see me, I will be in my flat. Let's move into the talk on Peter, the fall and rise of the Apostle Peter. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And then as we go through, you'll see that Peter wasn't your natural fit for being a disciple. He was dejected. He was a failure. He engaged in betrayal. He was a coward. He was lazy and slovenly. And yet Jesus still said to him, I will build my church on you. He was the first person to preach the gospel and 3,000 people on Pentecost Sunday were added to the church. The message is that you are, you are never written off. Jesus is with you and for you and the best is always yet to come. My granddad always used to say, apparently my dad was telling me, his favourite sound of all time was the whistle of a British destroyer warship because that's the ship that eventually rescued him from Dunkirk and took him home. I was reflecting and thinking, you know what, for me, the greatest sound I've ever heard was God's voice calling me home. The sound of God's voice saying to me, my son, I know you, I love you, would you let me rescue you and bring me home? You're never written off. And wherever you are, wherever you think you're at, listen for the sound of God's voice. Listen for the sound of God's voice coming to rescue you coming to take you home would you allow yourself to be rescued would you refuse to give in praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade peter is saying that God has put stuff in the bank for you, an inheritance that can't be touched. It will never depreciate. Northern Rock won't go bankrupt again and cause you to lose it. You have a heavenly inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It is untouchable, invincible. And this inheritance is not monetary. It's the things that you deeply desire. It's unconditional love, peace, joy, freedom, purpose. These are the things that are yours to keep, to have now and to keep forever. This is why we call it the gospel. Gospel means good news. This is the good news of Christianity, that the things that you deeply desire are there on offer. So Peter talks about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Peter is talking as a man who knows that no matter what you do, God won't stop loving you. God won't write you off. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. How did, he, how did he get to that point? How did he reach the point where he thought, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. God will never leave me. God will never disqualify me. God will never eradicate me. Let's look at Peter's story. Because actually a lot of characters in the Bible we don't hear very much about. But we know loads about Peter. And we hear lots about Peter in the Gospel of Matthew and lots in the Gospel of Luke. And they say different things about him, but they all agree. They all form this amazing picture of a failure, a failure redeemed by Jesus to be 
the foundation of the church. If it wasn't for Peter, I wouldn't be talking to you now and you wouldn't be listening. So let's look at Peter's story. The message of this is that you are never written off. It doesn't matter where you think you are, how bad you think you are, how unloved you think you are, how angry with God you are, how angry with you you think he is. You're never written off and the best is yet to come. So in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus meets Peter for the first time. He's a fisherman, Peter is. And Jesus says, come with me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll help you to fish for people. Now, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't come to him and say, oh, I know you're a fisherman, but really you should be a baker. I'll help you to bake men. Jesus uses the gifts that are already in Peter. God has given you gifts and they're not accidental. Whatever your gifts are, and they're many, they're not an accident. You are not just a random bunch of molecules that the cosmos, that the universe has accidentally burped out. <laughs> you were created with just a real sense of wonder by a creator who loves you and says you're worth dying for. So Peter follows Jesus. The thing is that following Jesus and being really close to him doesn't make us immune from harm or attack or danger. The, the Bible isn't always very reassuring about the stuff that can happen to you, but it's incredibly reassuring about the stuff that can happen in you, regardless what's happening to you, regardless of what's happening to you. In, um, in Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. Basically meaning, Satan has asked to have a run-up at you. He wants to try and take you out. What, a, what an incredible thing to say. Like, your great spiritual enemy wants to have a run-up at you. He wants to turn up mob-handed and take you out. And at some point, Jesus says to Satan, Okay, have a run-up at my boy. Have a run-up at Peter. Give it your best shot. And we see it happen. Because when Jesus is sent off to be executed, Peter denies Jesus three times. His great friend, his great Lord. And three times he says, no, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him. Like what? I don't know him. Three times. Satan had a run-up and Peter didn't stand firm. He gave in, he lost. He was sifted. He was taken out. Jesus had said to Peter in, in Matthew 16, 24, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. But Peter didn't deny himself. He denied Jesus. He didn't initially pick up his cross. He ran from the cross. He was a coward and he was a failure. And bear in mind also, previous to that, Peter had said two things. He'd said, Jesus, nothing bad could happen to you. And even if it does, I'll stay with you. So he was a liar as well. He was a coward, a failure and a liar. This is the guy that Jesus said, I'll build my church on you. It's not a good start for Peter. But then there's redemption. 
because the whole Bible is about redemption, is about God never giving up on us and always being willing to put right what once went wrong, like quantum leap. God is the greatest crisis manager of all time. If you're a struggling premiership side lingering just above relegation, you want to bring in the Lord and he'll steady the ship. <laughs> we see Peter's redemption in, in John 21. Peter says to his mates, I'm going fishing. He's going back to doing what he did before this whole love affair and adventure started. He's going back to what he knows. So he goes fishing. But even then he's rubbish at it. <laughs> they go out fishing, they're there all night and they don't catch anything. That's his job, that's his thing. He can't even do that. He can't even fish for fish, let alone fish for people. And then in the morning they see this guy on, on the beach and it's, and it's Jesus. And Jesus says, um, guys, have you, managed to, uh, have you managed to catch anything? Haven't you any fish? They say no. And Jesus says, well, put your net on the other side. And just one little change of direction changes everything. Repentance just means turn around. And all they're doing is, is turning their net around, changing direction, changing their mind. And the net gets filled with fish. At this point, they realise that it's the Lord. And Peter gets out of the boat and swims and runs towards him. Now, again, there's a lovely redemption there because in Matthew 14, it's the one where Jesus walks on water and Jesus says, um, Peter, come to me. Come across the water to me. And Peter thinks it's a ghost. They say, oh, it's a ghost. And Peter does get out of the boat, but he starts to doubt and he starts to sink. Here... Even though Jesus has died and now been resurrected, even though he's got good reason to think it might be a ghost, he doesn't. He knows it's the Lord. And he gets out of the boat and he doesn't walk on water, but he's not bothered. He's not bothered. He's got to the place where he just thinks, you know what? I'm all in now. I'm all in. So they get to the, they get to the shore. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. You've been denied three times by the person you selected to be your top boy. <laughs> like he left you and you're making him breakfast on the beach. What kind of Lord would do that? What kind of God would do that? Well, there's one God who would do that. His name is Jesus. He says, come and have breakfast. And he's already cooked them breakfast and it was fish. <laughs> like the thing that they've been trying and failing to catch all night. Jesus has already prepared for them. He went ahead of them. And the thing that they couldn't do in his strength, they could do. And then after breakfast, Jesus says to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three affirmations to match the three rejections. At each point, where Jesus asks, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Jesus is symbolically eradicating and redeeming the three rejections. Jesus is not in a mood. He's not passive aggressive. He's not social distancing from Peter. He hasn't said, well, I'm done with you. You're no good to me. He meets Peter. And he calls him out, if you like. But to redeem it to restore it, to overturn it, to bring redemption and new hope, the living hope that Peter goes on to talk about 
in his first letter. And then after that, Jesus says, follow me. Follow, just, just that. He doesn't tell him off. He doesn't keep raising the fact that Peter denied him. He just says, follow me. From this point onwards, from now, starting from now, you follow me, says Jesus. And, and that's where the Gospels end. That's the end of the Gospels. What a great way to end with the risen Jesus making breakfast for you on the beach. After everything, after everything that Peter had done, and he was a failure. He was a complete moron. Most of the disciples were idiots. After all of that, Jesus still builds his church upon the rock. Peter means rock. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. But you know what? Rocks don't just form out of nothing. Rocks form over time via a process of melting, cooling, eroding, compacting and deforming. Rocks are forged through those different processes. But that's where you get the rock, that really strong substance that you can build stuff on. But it doesn't happen by accident. You know, sometimes it's our brokenness that leads to strength. We are not strong. You are not stronger than you think. You're just as weak as you fear. I know I am, maybe even weaker. But the Bible says, you know, where we are weak, he is incredibly strong. And it's his strength that we can draw on. If we try and do things in our own strength, we can't. Even the stuff that we're good at, we can't do on our own. Even great fishermen can't fish just in their own strength. But you listen to Jesus, you come to Jesus in just one change of direction and he'll redeem it. It's like when you're building muscle, not that I really have any, but you build muscle by tearing muscle. Brokenness is not something to be desired, but it's how we grow often. Jesus isn't worried about letting you take a few wounds spiritually. But by his wounds, your wounds are healed. And this is why we call it the gospel. So that's Peter. That's Peter. And so what's the message? The message is, for you today, you're not written off. You're never written off. It doesn't matter how much of a failure you think you are, or how much of a failure you actually might be. Jesus would say to you, come, come to me, let's have breakfast and let's talk about where we go from here. Follow me, he would say. And he'll use your gifts. Not only that, he'll redirect your gifts. And he'll even redirect your weaknesses. You see, if Peter hadn't doubted the first time he got out of the boat, he wouldn't have had the confidence the next time. If Peter hadn't learned from his denials, he wouldn't have been able to go on and preach the gospel with such power and further, fervor. Even your weaknesses are redeemable. And you know, it says in Romans, the book of Romans, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. The gifts that you have, the many gifts that you have, and they are many. And the desires of your heart that God has placed there, they're still up for grabs. 
It's not game over. God hasn't changed his mind about you. He loves you. And he's the greatest man manager and crisis manager of all time. And all you need to do is come to him and say, yes, I love you. Yes, I'll follow you. Because I need you. I need your strength. Lord, I am weak. But where I am weak, you are strong. His strength is made perfect in weakness. It's not just pretty good. It's perfect in weakness. To end, in Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 2, he's speaking to persecuted Christians. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He realises that the journey he's been on has given him that confidence. And I would say to you today, you are God's special possession. You're not written off. You're not disqualified. You belong to the God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the best is yet to come. And if that's not good news, then I don't know what is. Have an amazing day. 